0: John chapter 8, verse 2 through 11. Early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to him, to test him. And Jesus left alone, was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now and sin no more. This is the word of the God. Thanks be
1: to God. You may be seated. <laughs> The greatest form of glory is to give your glory for somebody else. Maybe you've seen that uh, over the years. Um, We have witnessed it on the athletic track. Um, Just this last week, I saw a video of a cross-country runner who was coming up to the finish line. Uh, She made it to within 200 yards of the finish line, and her legs literally gave out. She literally collapsed. She Every time she got back up, she would crumple to the ground again. She could not finish the race. And here are, this is a college cross-country meet. Here are two other uh, runners that came along from completely different teams. And they pick this other opponent up. And they literally carry her to the finish line. Now, you've seen stuff like that. And... In that race, I have no idea who the winner was, but I know who the winner was, right? The greatest form of glory is to give away your glory for somebody else. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul lays out a list. It's the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And all of these things are that he gives us, there are nine qualities and they are outcomes that happen when we turn our life over to Jesus and we begin to let the Holy Spirit direct our path. And today we come to a word gentleness, gentleness. And we've also committed as we begin each week together to memorize this list of the fruit of the spirit. So we're going to do that again today. There are a lot there are different blanks this week to help you out and I'm sure by now this is week number 8 that we have this pretty well memorized, but let's say it together and cement it even more. Here we go. But the of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's Galatians Very good, very good. Uh, gentleness. Gentleness, when we come to that word in the list, is a word that's Camouflaged In some older versions that you might look in, it's actually meekness is the word. In some other versions, it's actually humility, humility. And so gentleness, meekness, humility will all be interchangeable words today because they all refer to the same Greek word that I'm referring to in this list. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said... Blessed are the meek on the sermon on, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's the same word that he uses in Matthew chapter 11 when he says, take my yoke upon my, on yourself because my burden is light. I am meek, that's the word, and lowly of heart you will find rest for your souls. And so Jesus uses this word and he ties it to rest. He ties it to peace. He ties it to the reward that God will give in the end. Now, we think meek, and that's not at all what we think. Meek people aren't people who get rewards. Meekness to us means weakness. And so, we feel like meek people are doormats, or they're soft and spineless. They're the kind of people... That if you're walking through the hallway at high school, they get shoved into the lockers. That's meek. But Jesus will insist that that's not meek at all. He says, you have to have meekness to get rest and to get peace. And so clearly something is off. We not only don't have this thing called gentleness, but we also surely misunderstand what it even is. And so to help us today, we go to John chapter 8. And in this famous story that maybe you've heard before, Jesus puts gentleness and meekness and humility on display. The story goes this way, that Jesus is teaching a bunch of people in the temple. And the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they bring in a woman. And she has been caught. That's a key word, caught. Caught. In the act of adultery, and they bring her and they throw her into the middle of the crowd that Jesus is teaching in front of Jesus. And they say this, teacher, this woman is an adulterer. Now, that word means any sex outside of the bonds of marriage. This woman is an adulterer. The law of Moses says that we should stone her. What do you say? Now, some background when you look at the Old Testament law, the law of Moses that they were referring to, what you find is that the Old Testament law is very severe when it comes to dishing out penalties. But at the same time, the law of Moses is super merciful when it comes to the prosecution of justice. It demands lots and lots of evidence to actually convict a person. As a matter of fact, in the case of adultery, It was so hard to bring forward the right evidence that almost no one was ever convicted of adultery. Among other things, it took two witnesses, and those witnesses had to completely agree with one another. Both witnesses had to see everything happen in order for there to be a conviction. So there's an old Jewish story about a woman named Susanna. Who was underneath a tree, and she was convicted, uh, she was accused of doing something in particular under the tree, but she was acquitted because the two witnesses that were accusing her could not agree on the size of the leaves on the tree. Okay? So you see that the Old Testament law is really in favor of the accused. And if the witnesses, in this case, just saw her come out of a room, that they thought a guy was in, that's not enough. If the witnesses saw both man and woman in a bed, that still wouldn't be enough. They have to actually see the crime. Do you get it? So this is clearly a trap for Jesus. The text actually says so, and it's a brilliant trap. They come and they say, guess what, Jesus? She's guilty. This woman is guilty. The law of Moses says stone her. What do you think? And so the question is not, is she guilty? The question is, what should the punishment be? And here's why that's a trap. If Jesus says, well, you should let her go. Then they get to say, aha, we told you so. This guy isn't the Messiah. He doesn't even believe in the Old Testament law. He's not even following the law of Moses. He can't be the Messiah. Move along. But if on the other hand, Jesus says, you should let her go. Then they also get to say, aha, he is not for you. See, Jesus's message has been About the marginalized people and sinners and outcasts and tax collectors and prostitutes. And if he says stone her, then all that talk about grace and forgiveness is in jeopardy. And they can say he talks a good game. But at the end of the day, he says, come and give your cares and cast your burdens on him. But at the end of the day, when you do that, he's going to execute you. And he loses. And do you see the trap? He has to either be moral and uphold the law and trample on this woman or be compassionate and love this woman and trample on the law. That's the conundrum. And Before we get to this word gentleness, what we see in the teachers and the Pharisees is the weed that we need to get rid of so that gentleness can grow in our life. And the weed is this condescension, condescension. You see, that's the way the teachers and the Pharisees of the law treat this woman, as beneath, as below. They are filled with scorn for this woman. So they throw her in front of the crowd. They make her stand in front of everyone. She's just been caught in the very act. And so who knows what she even has on, probably whatever little she could grab as men were trying to grab her. And it was very much this situation. We're up here. We're the religious elite, we're morally acceptable, and you are way down here, not even close. And they condescend, shame, shame. Gentleness is the opposite of that. Gentleness, meekness, humility is never haughty. Towards other people. It doesn't mock or jeer. When somebody steps in front of you without much polis, or without much talent, or without much success in their life, or without the moral record in their life, gentleness never treats them as less. And the religious leaders are condescending. Here's Here's the truth: this woman was absolutely beneath Jesus in her morality. Spoiler alert, we all are, right? This woman has been caught. We all have been caught. But the difference in the way that the religious leaders treat her and the way that Jesus treats her is that he doesn't treat her as less. There's no condescension. What does he do? Did you notice it? He starts to doodle on the ground with his finger. He writes something. We don't know what. And so what is gentleness? Here's here's the word. It's the Greek word, praus. And it is this, power under submission. It is strength under control. Praus is power under submission, strength under control. It is Jesus stooping to doodle in the ground with his finger when he could be unleashing wrath on these religious leaders. The picture um, that the Greeks like to use for this word is a powerful picture of a wild animal that has been tamed and is now submissive and receptive to a writer. And so all the weight, all the strength, all the muscle is still there in this wild animal, and yet it is contained, it is controlled, not in a coercive way, but in a submissive way kind of way. It's this picture. This is a really big horse. And a really tiny kid. Right? Uh, Maybe you've seen this at parades. I think this is in a rodeo and she has a saddle that's three times too big for her. She doesn't need it anyway, because she's a foot above it, right? Um, And yet there's this huge horse. This huge horse could do whatever it wanted. It could buck this little kid off in a heartbeat if it wanted to. But what is it? It is not that. It is gentle. It is meek. It is humble. This girl says run and the horse runs. This girl tugs to the left and the horse goes to the left. Tug to the right. The horse goes to the right. Tug both reins. The horse stops. That's Humility, power under submission, that's the word, gentleness. And so in that picture, here's what we see, that meekness is absolutely not weakness. Gentleness and meekness is all about strength. It's based on strength, not weakness. And Jesus, here's Jesus, cosmic strength, sitting in the temple, doodling in the ground. Remember what he said about himself. We could pick out a lot of these kind of statements. He said, I am the Lord of heaven and earth. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He said, peace be still to the wind and the waves. He makes all of these incredible claims. He says, I can forgive sin. He says, I will judge the earth. But the one thing. He never says. He never even comes close to saying is anything like this. Ah, oh, shucks, guys. I'm nothing. He never says that. I need you to duct tape this to your head today. It's not in your notes, but this will give you everything you need to work on gentleness in your life. It is this. Jesus knows that he is something, but he acts like nothing. We do the very opposite. We know we're nothing, so we try to do everything to act like we're something. We feel inferior, and we try to live to prove that we're not. Jesus was superior in every way, but lived as though he was not. He knows his greatness, but he doesn't act that way. And in his great power, he is submissive to God the Father. And so we're going to define gentleness this way today. The definition is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Can you read that with me? What is gentleness? Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That horse in that picture, if we could go back there, that horse is not saying, How can I get out of here? No. The horse is saying, which way does she want me to go next? That's gentleness. That's submission. And people with gentleness, people with meekness, people with humility, have this blessed self-forgetfulness about them. They're not constantly worried about how they look. They don't walk into a room and, and look around and immediately think, what are these people thinking of me? Oh my goodness, how am I doing? How am I coming across? How am I coming off? No, gentleness... Is just not thinking about yourself so much. It's the blessedness of self forgetfulness. It's humility as opposed to pride, as opposed to arrogance, as opposed to self absorption. Maybe we could talk about it this way um, point to your knee. Yes. Uh, Two two or three people did that. That's okay. All right. I want you to think about tomorrow. If somebody comes into your workplace or your school or whatever, and they say, oh, wow, my knees feel awesome. Look at my knees. They bend. When I sit, they bend. When I stand up, they unbend. That's amazing. That's awesome. Have you ever heard anybody say that? No, because... When your knees are working, they don't draw attention to themselves. If somebody was to come and say, oh, wow, my knees feel great today, what would you immediately think? You would think, oh, they've had trouble with their knees, right? I need you to apply that same thinking to your ego, to your self-consciousness, to your self-awareness. If we were healthy, we wouldn't even think about how we're doing, how we're looking, Or what everybody else thinks. We would be able to look at other things. We would be able to focus on other people and their interests. We would be able to focus on God. We would be able to focus on our neighbor. We would look at everything else. And the last thing that we would look at would be ourselves. But we don't, do we? We have issues, right? We are always looking around and saying... Uh, What are they thinking about me? We're wondering if our feelings are hurt. We're wondering if we've been insulted or not. We're wondering if we got snubbed. We're wondering if a person likes us or not. Whether they are thinking about us. And there's something wrong. And just like if you're thinking about their knees, there's probably something wrong with your knees. We're not healthy. If we're thinking about ourselves all that time, maybe the flag is you're not right. Right? There's something wrong. And so we focus on fixing it. And as a result, we are not self-forgetful at all. We're filled with arrogance and pride and superiority because the focus is squarely on us. And in the same thought, we can kind of tackle the counterfeit of uh, gentleness. The counterfeit of gentleness, gentleness, something that looks like the fruit of the Spirit, but it really isn't the fruit of the Spirit, is this, inferiority. Inferiority. There are two ways that we try to deal with the hurt of not being right inside. Number one, we can walk into a room and we can play the superiority card. And we can look around the room and we can say, okay, how am I better than somebody else in the room? And as long as there's somebody else in the, in the room that we can feel better than, then that medicates us a while. It's the same thing as the teachers and the Pharisees are doing. They're shoving somebody who is beneath them in front of Jesus so that they can prop themselves up. But we also do exactly the opposite. Sometimes we walk into a room and we medicate ourselves by taking an inferior stance. We tell ourselves how everyone else in the room is above us and we put ourselves down. And we go to gloom and despair and woe is me because there's somebody else in the room that's doing what we wanted to do. There's somebody else in the room that has the hair that we wanted to have. There's somebody else in the room that's pursuing their thing when we're just sitting at home on the couch and we are sad and we're down and we're medicating ourselves by being inferior. And here's the point. Both the superior play and the inferior play are both self-obsessed. Humility... Gentleness is self-forgetfulness. And so, one feels like he's won the game and he's superior. One feels like he's lost the game and he's inferior. But both are focused on self. That's the deal. Inferiority may look from the outside like somebody's really humble. Like somebody's really gentle and meek. But at the end of the day, it's not. It's just more self-absorption. Gentleness is not a mighty horse that's down in the mouth on himself. Gentleness is a mighty horse who submits, forgets himself, and submits to another who gets to call the shots. And Jesus is this way. Jesus is meek. Paul calls him that in 1 Corinthians 10. Just after this list for the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, Paul uses this word in another way. He says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, does that apply to John chapter 8? I think so. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's the word. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's gentleness, it's meekness, it's power under submission that allows a person to step into a life and correct somebody and put them back on the path and do it without arrogance, without impatience, without anger. And that's what Jesus is about to do. And in this motion, we see how we get more gentleness. Jesus gets up from the dirt and he says this. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. First layer that we need to uncover is that Jesus absolutely in this statement is upholding the law. He's actually citing the law in this statement. The Jewish law says this, that if you're going to be a witness to somebody else's crime then you also have to be the executioner. That's Jewish law. The way the law lays it out is that any person who executes the sentence cannot also be guilty of that same crime. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and Deuteronomy 13, we see that if you're going to kill somebody for adultery, you yourself cannot be an adulterer. And so what Jesus is saying in that statement is, I know you and I know some of you are adulterers too. And that knocks down the crowd. And the text says that the older ones are the ones that left first, probably because they've had more time to make mistakes. But it's not just that. I need you to remember the witness clause that I talked about. Witnesses actually had to see the act of adultery or else they were false witnesses. And so I want you to also think about who is supposed to be executed. It takes two to tango, right? And there's only one person that shows up who is accused. In the the Old Testament, both the man and the woman are to be brought before and executed if they're found guilty. So the question is where is the man? If the teachers and religious law, or religious leaders, saw the sin. And they only brought the woman, then they are guilty of the crime of partiality. And in the Old Testament, it says that a judge who shows partiality, who uh, uses double standards, is himself to be killed. And so, do you see what's happening? They're either guilty of partiality because they have double standards, or... They are guilty of being a false witness for an act they didn't really see. Without the man in the picture, there's no way that they are not without sin themselves. And they don't bring the man. And so what Jesus does is he brings proud religious men down to the same ground as the woman that they're about to stone. And in this, Jesus honors the law. It's the same law that they were appealing to. He says, the law says stone her. Oh, is that true? Well, what about the law saying, what does it say about partiality? What does the law say about conspiracy? What does the law say about being a false witness? What does the law say about throwing a woman into the temple and executing her without a trial that she's entitled to? What about that? Not to mention the one about adultery. Jesus is saying, I don't deny the law. I don't deny she's guilty. Here's what I deny. Your right to be her executioners. And I do so by the law that you're bringing at me. And that's that's like Jesus dropping the mic, kind of. And they have nothing to say. They're done. And the trap doesn't work. And they leave, one by one. The text says at at the end that it's just Jesus... And this woman. And they're standing there together, and he turns to her gently, and he says, Where'd they go? Is no one left to condemn you? She says, No, I don't see anybody. And then he says something that you and I need to grab a hold of today and really understand. And it's not only what he says, but it's the order in which he says it. Here it is. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Hear what Jesus, first of all, is not saying. Jesus is not saying, hey, you know what? You're okay. Don't worry, that adultery thing, everybody's doing it. Anyway, doesn't matter. Just roll on. You're okay. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, this is sin. Living in this way with your sexuality outside of the boundaries that God has intended for you is sin. And the reason that you were caught in sin is because you were first trapped by your heart that had the desires to sin. Jesus never ignores the sin on the table. But second thing we need to see here is that Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Now we've heard that so much as Christian people, as good church people who come to church. We read John chapter 8 and we've, we've read this line so much that we miss how it doesn't go together. It's incongru- incongruous. It should go like this. You're guilty and this is sin, so I do condemn you. Or it should go like this. You're not guilty. This is not sin, so I don't condemn you. But here's what Jesus says. And it doesn't make sense. You're guilty, but I don't condemn you. How in the world is that possible? One of the reasons that gentleness and humility and meekness is so hard on us is because it calls us to keep in tension two things always. We always either want to uphold the law or we want to be gracious. And we feel like we either have to uphold the law and trample on people or we have to stick with people and trample on the law and we don't feel like we can have it both ways but here jesus pops up and he shows us a new way he says yes there actually is a third way he says you're guilty but i don't condemn you and there's only one way that statement is possible when jesus says i don't condemn you what he's doing is really condemning himself He's taking the stoning away from the one who is guilty and stepping into her shoes and putting his life in her place. In this circle that he stepped into and he says, "He who is without sin cast the first stone." Guess what? The only person that that applied to was him. He was the only person without sin. He was the only person who has every right to throw rocks and he does. Throw rocks, but guess where he throws them? He throws them at himself to forgive her his sin. For to forgive her this sin was to acknowledge that he would have to take her sin on himself. Jesus is casting stones at his own feet, and to extend forgiveness to her meant a cross for him. Jesus says. The Son of Man will be betrayed and they will condemn Him. Paul says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He says later that God made Him, Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we think that you're either guilty and condemned or not guilty and not condemned. But Christianity says something completely different. Christianity says, Jesus, the innocent took rocks for you, and you're a sinner, but because he did that, you are utterly accepted. And it's his gentleness, it's his meekness, his humility that did this. He took all of his cosmic, supernatural, colossal power, power that could have called 10,000 angels to come at any time, and he submitted it to the Father, and he submitted it to you, and he submitted it to me, So that sin would be defeated. That is gentleness. And the thing you need to see today is the right order. It's not, don't sin anymore, then you'll be free of condemnation. That's not the order. It's the opposite. It's this I don't condemn you, now you're free of condemnation because I will take the rocks for you. And in the light of that, go and don't sin anymore. That's the right order. Keep the right order today. Okay? You don't overcome your sin to gain God's acceptance. You receive a free gift of grace through faith in baptism and when that happens, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and now you get to go live up to that sin-free life that Christ has earned you. And that's the primary thing. And what about some practical help today? Man, it'd be nice To get more humility, more gentleness, more self-forgetfulness. If we could just go to somebody who's really displaying that quality of gentleness. And we could say, what's the trick? Would you sit down with me and would you give me some best practices for being humble? I mean, that would be nice. But the problem with that, of course, is that the minute somebody says, well, let me think about it. Uh, My best practices, the way I'm humble is one, two, three. The minute they do that, what are they talking about? themselves, right? And now they're not humble anymore, so you have to go find somebody else. That's the way it works. So how in the world do we build up gentleness in our life? It's not like we can exercise to do this. If we think to ourselves, well, I'll do this and I'll be more humble, then we've brought the focus back to us. And humbleness is self-forgiveness. So what's the solution? This is in your bulletin. Here it is. Humility is actually a byproduct of wanting something other than being humble. I'll say that again. Humility is actually a byproduct of wanting something other than being humble. It's the unexpected aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And it begins to be reality in our lives... The minute that we begin to look somewhere else, we take the focus off of us and we begin to look somewhere else. And the place that we have to look is to the one who took the rocks for us. That's what this woman did. And it changed her. How do we know that it changed her? In the end, what does it say? It says that it's just Jesus and her. It's just those two. How do we know What Jesus said to her. How do we know what she said to Jesus? The only way possible is that she told this story herself. And that means that she was healed, that she followed, that she changed. People all around you in this life are beating their chest, they're typing in all caps. They are snapping 10 pics so that they can get the perfect selfie. People all over are doing that. Why? Because they want people to see them. They want people to recognize them. They want people to love them. And we do that too. We are desperately trying to fill ourselves up with value so that other people notice us. But I want you to look at Jesus. What is he doing? He does just the opposite. He empties himself. We don't have any glory or honor at all and we're trying everything to get it. Jesus is the only one with true honor and true glory and he does everything he can to give it away. He puts all of his power at our disposal. He submits all of his strength. He makes sure that we win, that we get across the finish line. That's gentleness. And shouldn't that give you a hint at what God is after The way up is down. The way to the most and greatest glory in your life is to give that glory away for someone else. That's God's economy. That's the pattern. That's how we connect with God and that's how we win with people around us. We come humbly. We become gently. We come meekly submitting any strength that we thought we had To others. God opposes the proud, is what Scripture says, but gives grace to the humble. I'm gonna call uh, Band up and I'm gonna give you two ways that we can cultivate gentleness in our lives this week. Number one is we've already established that you can't really work on your humility, right? Because then you're focused on yourself, it doesn't work. But what you can work on is your pride. And so I want you to meditate on Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 this week. That Jesus came and that he emptied himself of everything for you. What does that mean? Maybe you could ask yourself, where am I trying to gain a reputation? And if he lost his reputation for me, then I can give mine for him. Here's the second thing that I want you to do this week. I want you to ask yourself this question. How can I sacrifice my win to help somebody else win this week? How can I pick somebody up and carry them across the finish line so that they win? I might have to sacrifice my own win. That's okay. And in doing that, humility has this crazy way of sneaking in through the back door. Father, we thank you for the gift of humility which is very slippery. It's not something we ever get if we ask for it or look for it or see whether we've gotten it, but we know if we look at you and look at your humility and we look at what you've done for us, then it's going to change us. And so would you make us like your son, who came not to be served, but who came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, make us gentle like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Everybody said Amen. Would you stand today? And we're going to sing a song to close. Um, Maybe you have never accepted this gentleness in your life today. I'll be up here. You come. And let's start the road to more love, more peace, more joy in your life. That starts with Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you want to make that decision today.